Hi, my name is Steve Taylor and welcome to our brand new podcast called Share Ed, created by Robin Hood Multi Academy Trust. Today, we bring you the start of our brand new podcast, Share Ed. We believe that at the heart of education lies collaboration. And so we've created a series of podcasts to create insights into some of the best leaders' minds from around the world. In episode one, we've decided to focus on the power of connecting with people, and we are delighted to introduce Richard Hunter. I've known Richard for many years. He is a former head teacher, MAT leader. He led the education arm of HSBC Global and was also the primary lead for SSAT. Throughout Richard's career, he has always put developing people at the centre of all he does. Many leaders across the country, and indeed internationally, have benefited from Richard's coaching, mentoring, and support throughout their careers. In fact, he's been a massive impact on my career. And in my opinion, there is no one better at spotting and nurturing talent. Thanks for joining us, Richard, on our new podcast. Now, for all the people who listen to this, we decided to choose Richard Hunter to to be our first podcast guest because the theme of this podcast this week is around nurturing and growing people and valuing people which at times like this particularly with the uh, with the lockdown and 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 all these times that we've been through nurturing and valuing people is is more important than ever and those personal connections and richard's got a rich history of talent spotting of finding um finding the good in people and really enabling them to go on and believe that they're capable of much more than they ever were. And when I first met Richard in 2010, Richard has had a profound impact on my career because he really was the catalyst for helping me uh, make the step into headship and then to go on and and run Robin Hood Matt. And, And the one thing that's gone through all of that is Richard. He's been the glue that's held it together. So welcome, Richard. Thank you very much. So in terms of, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, whenever we've, from the very first moment I met you, what always shone through was your ability to, to see really the good in people, but also to see people who had got talent and potential. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you came to that way of working? I, th- I think it all started, to be honest, Steve, that um, I, I love being a teacher. I never wanted to be a leader. Uh, circumstances drove me down that route because of the particular school that I was in and I became a deputy in a head and applied for neither so uh, that, that had never I'd never had any training or development in this area and I felt to be honest incredibly inadequate as most leaders do when they start and I knew because I was actually working in the school at the time that everybody liked me and people would work with and for me if I needed them to so I decided that the only way to get through this crisis of uncertainty um, and insecurity was you know, people had got to come with me and got to help me. And I, I realized that that's not what had happened in that particular situation before. It was a very much a them and us situation based on hierarchy. So I decided that the, the only way that I would be able to survive is to be one of them, to be able to hold to account, but from a distance and not to try and impose, but try and yeah, encourage, develop, nurture, and bring them on board. And I realized it worked um, slowly to start with. And um, 
and, and I've, I've adopted that philosophy in every role that I've had ever since. And, and basically, I, I try and see the best in people from the outset. And I find that, that I'm seldom disappointed. Some, some people disappoint, but the majority don't because they, they see that I actually believe in them. So, so that, that's really what, what I base everything on. Because when I, uh, for example, for, for people who've never met you, you know, when I think about a, a typical week before lockdown for you, you would be phoning someone in Panama, giving them some free leadership coaching because you've, you've made a connection and they want some career advice. So you'd be staying up till 10, 11 o'clock at night and giving up an hour of your time to coach and nurture someone there. I know that personally as well. If I was having a particularly difficult time and I needed some, need to talk something through, you're either on the end of the phone, but I also know that you're in London and I'm in Coventry. I also know that if I said to you, can you drive up and can we go out for a meal? I know that you would drive up, you'd book a hotel at a cost to you, and then we'd go out for a meal. So across the course of the week, you are touching base and keeping tabs on actually a tremendous amount of people, aren't you? Yeah, which, which I consider a privilege because I, because I see leadership as service, especially in schools. I mean, at the moment, we're hearing a lot about leadership in, in, in you know, uh, hospitals and, and various uh, providers. But, but, but schools, we have a service to do. And I don't think it's about job descriptions or about, you know, um, performance management or anything. It, it, it truly is a privilege and a service. And if you consider it as, as that then the diversity and the range of situations just make that service so, so rewarding and interesting and, um, and, and a rich experience. So, you know, you turn it around. So, okay, I might be working strange hours in strange situations, but actually the satisfaction reward it gives me. And if you, if, if you look at it from that, then, then it's, it's a privilege. It's as simple as that. It, it's a richness. So. But a lot of those things, I mean, most of those things that I've described, don't equal any it's not there's no financial reward to you is it that's not i suppose the point i'm making is that what i've highlighted there isn't part of your day-to-day job these are things that you do outside of your job and outside of your income they're all additional things aren't they yeah but that that's where that's where the satisfaction comes and the reward um just making a difference and i think the further you get through your career i think it's where you are in your career um and i I think the the age and stage that you're at is a factor and 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 maybe 20 years i mean i've been a head teacher now it's 26 years uh that that i was first appointed a head and and i think um that you know at the time it's about survival and taking people with you and the fear and the, the unknown now because i don't really have to work it's such a privilege that people can still you know come to me and and in some way i seem to be able to support them so so it's, it's about it's a bit like a, a circle of life you know we've talked about yeah. this before is is that you know i i see you and other leaders very much as i hoped that i was 26 years ago or whatever and it's about yeah. passing on you know, and, and that's that's part of service. What service is really is to enable, to empower, to encourage, develop, nurture. And you could say that all of these words are, are soft words, but they're incredibly hard words because being nice to people, you know, it might be an insipid word, but actually it's the most powerful thing anybody can do. Uh, but yeah. you have to feel you have to have that inner strength and confidence to be nice at times because it's much easier to be, to be heavy-handed and demanding and direct people. 
So it's all about that, really. But, but you know, I find that a lot of my peers as well at this stage in, in our careers and lives, you know, get tremendous um, satisfaction and, and can still play a role in all of this because it, it is important that, that everybody at whatever age and stage plays their role. And I think it's particularly about service now because that's something that, that people like me can offer. Yeah, and, and really, if we... I mean, part of this podcast is getting an understanding of what makes you tick and what you hold dear. You know, for me, what's made what's made a massive difference and where you stand out with a lot of other leaders is that some leaders won't offer to give up their time for you, and you know that's okay. They've got their they've got their day job and and they've got their own things, so they're they're focused on on the job at hand and their time is precious and they guard it and that and that's absolutely fine others will offer um guidance but actually when you get in touch with them again they've got priorities and stuff and then with you i i find that you'll you'll offer it but also you'll go above and beyond and i think what that allows um for me is a real connection with that allows you to make very strong deep connections with people that last for a long period of time can you just talk about that in terms of what you get out of it from you and, and what makes you, you tick on I mean, that side I mean, of things. It, it, to me, it's, it's very simple because I get as much from people as, as I give to people without a doubt. You know, I, I do consider all sort of professional relationships uh, as a privilege and in, inevitably the good professional relationships become personal relationships as well. I mean, there, there isn't really a divide there, which, which brings, you know, I say the, the richness and great satisfaction. I, th- I think a lot of it also is a, uh, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this, but I, over my professional life, um, I think your background does dictate quite a bit. Um, you know, I personally went to one of the toughest comprehensive schools and, and it was tough and, and, and we, we, we had very little. Um, <clears throat> but that gave me, I think, an inner strength to, to, to prove certain things to myself. So I think that helped. And I think, I think periods of your life as well, because I actually, and I don't like to admit this, but I kind of grew up like 10 years after the Second World War. I was born 10 years after the Second World War, you know. So, yeah. so there, was, there was a more um, kind of uh, uh, a need, I think, to create something for yourself because life basically wasn't easy. I think it's a lot harder now in many respects because of the pressures and you know, expectations on people. But, you know, um, it, it, was, it was quite easy to, to give to give as much as I could. And, and, and of course, it, it's all come back in, in, in droves. Um, and also, I, I had the, 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 um, the great experience in, in um, between 2002 and 2010 of, of not being directly in schools because of my work with um, HSBC Education Trust and the Specialist Schools and Academies Trust. And, and that, that, I think, it even gave me more experience and more determination to get back into schools and give as much as I could because I realised that they are very special places, schools. And, and having been out of directly working in schools for eight years, being in, really in business, um, still around educational leadership and projects, but, but still in business, I realised that that schools are very, very special places and that the more you give, the more you get back and the more you actually make a difference to people's lives, which very few professions can give you that sort of feeling of of satisfaction. So what did you gain from 
particularly with HSBC, but also, you know, with SSAT, you were coordinating out on a national scale, weren't you? What did yes, you yeah. What did you really gain and learn from in in terms of how does that, how is it different that sort of scenario that 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 um, work yeah. that you're doing there, in particular yeah, connecting uh, people? Yeah, I mean, you you you're less creative because you you have to think about financial models you have to think about contracts you have to think about um, kpis and and various things so you lose that creative side which doesn't sit easily with me so i always struggled with with that that i had to reach certain numbers of people on courses or or we got a certain amount to spend on school projects and if it went over it wasn't acceptable and things like that so um, i didn't have the freedom in that sense the, the, the great things I, I did gain from that were, were, were around personal confidence because I was mixing in circles, sometimes with, with, with royalty, you know, sometimes with, certainly um, I had uh, fortnightly meetings while, whilst with HSBC with the Secretary of State for Education, Charles Clark at the time, you know, I used to go and have breakfast with him every fortnight these were situations that i would never ever have imagined myself in and it gave it gave me the confidence to realize that without wanting to sound conceited but i'm as good as they are and i can do what they do that that sort of approach so it gave me um, a, a great um, wealth of uh, of confidence and and, and belief that I, I probably didn't have before but the strongest thing that i got from all of this was um a, a unique and incredibly broad network of professionals both in education and in the wider world that have stayed with me and have have actually been able to impact on on myself and a lot of people since because actually people like belonging to a network they they, they like to be asked to support you know and i'm still involved with with people high up in hsbc globally you know i've got contacts in in most countries you know, I, I i've spoken on in every continent on on leadership programs and um, so, so those opportunities were, were amazing. But I still wanted to be back in school, um, and I'm glad that you know I'm, I'm now back in school simply because that creative, free element and, and the emotional intelligence I can use, you couldn't really use to the same level in in business or in in, in the wider community like that. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I know you feel the same. But what I what I love about education is that. Um, you know, very few people are in it for financial reward. I mean, we'd be doing other things. And I really like the fact that you look yourself in the mirror and you know that if you're making the right decision by children at any level, that you've got, it, it, it's a massive privilege, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. that actually it fulfills a certain inner core that very few yeah. of the jobs can do. So, you know, I, I, when you've talked about HSBC with me and also with SSAT, it was in quite a, um, you know, the economy and everything was really, was really good. It was so frustrating. You... It was frustrating at times because, because, you know, um, in a city, you know, I'm not knocking HSBC because it was a wonderful period of my life, but, but, you know, people would ask, you know, it's your lunchtime now. So you, you leave your desk for an hour, you know, and you wander the streets if necessary, but, but you, we don't do that in education. And, 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 and really, you know, the, the focus of everything you do is, is your bonus at the end of the year. You know, yeah. so um, it, you know, it, it is completely different. And we, we are all geared and we're wired differently, I think. 
Um, yeah. but, but true educationalists, you know, the, the, the real power and satisfaction, as you rightly say, isn't from financial. It, it's from making a difference to the community. And it, it may sound corny and a cliche and everything, but it, but it, but it, it is totally true. Totally true. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And, it, and it's also recognizing that, that everybody has got something in them, whether it be a child or a teacher or, you know, everybody. But you, you, go, you go in with that positive belief that everybody, everybody has something. And 99% and yeah, of people and 99% of children do have something. Yeah. And so, so after those, after those um, experiences, you went back into education. Now, I know uh, you closely and you work in five-year plans, don't you, which... Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you sort of gear your life around yes. and so take me to an end this month yeah come, yeah come, come, and, and we know we know with you don't we that when you come to the end of a five-year plan that that's a period of quite quite a lot of instability yeah. for you because yeah, yeah. you have you have a bit of self-doubt don't you when you get to the end of five-year plans about what's going to happen yourself. next it's about reaching your sell-by date and credibility um, yeah. And I think that's something that everybody has to review wherever they are in their life is about credibility. You know, I'm still good at what I do and do I need yeah. to change direction or can I still grow in the role that I've got? And I think that's a healthy attitude to have. Yeah. I, but when I think back about you now, so, you know, it's nearly five years since you um, officially retired as, um, as executive head of Robin Hood, Matt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yet now, at the, coming to the end of your five-year period, I, I look at you. I remember at the time you talking to me and saying that you were worried or not you were going to get um, the same fulfilment in the next stage and that sense of belonging. And now, when I see you five years on, I think you're probably working harder and are busier and more in demand than ever before. You've got a you, you've got a nice place in Italy Avenue. Yes. Yeah. You've, you've got a lot of things set up where probably an outsider looking in it, you would say, why aren't you spending a lot more time in Italy and enjoying the finer things in life? You've done your service. And yet I see you now and more than ever, I think that you're, you're driven to make a difference. Can you, can you just tell us about your mindset with that? Yeah. My, my mindset is simply that I, I don't have to work and therefore I work with people that I like. And again, yeah. using this word nice, I, I, um, you know, my whole philosophy of leadership is to surround yourself with good people. And that makes yeah. life good. And, you know, although I love my village and my house in Italy and everything, you know, um, I, I still need these good people in my life while, while I can still make a difference. So to get, it's all about balance now. And, and one of the hardest jobs for me, um, and, and you know me well enough, is, is to say no to people and to, because not everybody is as nice as, as other people. So yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going through a, trying to go through a little bit of a, um, as the five-year plan comes to um, conclusion, I'm looking at what I should take into the next phase and what I shouldn't. And that, that's not always easy because you, you form relationships. Um, but but it's, it's, life can be, I, I think, incredibly lonely. And, and I think in this particular period we're going through now you see and experience people who are who are actually lonely i you know I, I could be living on my own but actually i probably speak and engage with 20 30 people in a day through 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 my professional life and through support and nurture and coaching and things so you know loneliness is is not a word i ever contemplate sometimes I, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like a little bit of it um yeah but but i don't experience it and i think that that's that's helping somebody like me at my age and stage 
cope, cope with everything because loneliness, especially in leadership, because all leaders feel lonely at times, but, but yeah. you know, incredibly lonely at times and isolated. And, um, you know, and then, for, and then that's when the sort of imposter syndrome sets in as well. Sometimes thinking, what am I doing here? You know, am I the right person to do this? Could I do it better? Could somebody else do it better? So yeah. actually all, all of this factors in that, that, you know, get away from the loneliness bit, surround yourself with good people, get the feedback. The feedback is the most powerful thing in, in, in life. So because it makes you feel that it's all worthwhile and then you carry on. And, and while physically and mentally you're, 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 you're making a difference and able to do that, I don't see there's any need to, to, um, to change at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense and it's like, a, probably it's like <laughs> with all of this, isn't it? The more that we, the more we go into education, the more we believe in and the more we believe the team in the people that we work with. I suppose if you cut, it, cut us in half, it's it, it, a lot of it links in with our own self-esteem as well, doesn't it? I know. It does, yeah. You, yeah. Yourself, that self-worth is essential. And as soon as you start to lose that, and, and, and it's all based on the moral compass because who you are as a person. Because if you do want to make a difference and help people, that moral compass is so strong, you can't fight it. So that if somebody needs you and you can offer something, why on earth would you say no? Because it's the most yeah. important thing in your life, really. Um, but you've got to, the thing that, you, that I, I try and focus on, if, when I'm interviewing for people, I, I'm often involved in deputy headship interviews. And, and the thing that strikes me most about any of them is humility. Because if yeah. they've got humility, they've got compassion, they've got sensitivity, doesn't mean they're not driven and, and want high expectations for all. But the humility means it's not about them. And the best leaders, whether it be of, of a global organization like HSBC, I mean, Sir John Bond, you know, who was, who was global chairman when I, when I was there, was one of the most incredible leaders I've ever met. Um, and it was because of his humility. And, and when, when I went back into education from HSBC, you know, he wrote me a handwritten letter, you know, Richard Hunter Esquire, in a, in a beautiful fountain pen, you know, talking about the difference I'd made to a global organization. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm from a tough part of Coventry. And, you know, and that, that, that sort of, it's, it, that humility will stick with me for, I've kept the letter still, because it just yeah. showed what a man he was. And, and it's, it's, it's influences like that that really shape you. And, and that's why experiences like HSBC and SSAT were very powerful for me because I came across, you know, different people, but it's, it kept my focus and probably strengthened my focus on, on how I lead in schools. Yeah, and I think you're right in terms of humility and emotional intelligence. When we look at, when we look at leadership, you know, uh, across the world, there's, there's lots of things that we can all do to um, improve on. Everyone's got gaps in their armory and, and things, and that's completely yeah. natural. I think the one element that's really hard to help people improve on or to help people develop is humility and emotional intelligence. I mean, Generally speaking, if you've got it and you display it, um, that's one thing. If you haven't got it and you're not self-aware, it's quite hard helping someone to step forward in that area, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that, that's why it's so important that you don't create this loneliness, that you open up, you, you have your network, because everybody needs somebody. And I mean, you say that you, you can come to me, but I know I can come to you as well when I feel insecure yeah. and, you know, and, and often you've helped me. So everything is a, is a, is a, a two-way process. But if, if you engage with the, 
with the thinking that, that leadership is about hierarchy and, and being keeping that distance and everything. It truly does not work. And after 26 years of, of headship, I, I know I'm right in saying that. Um, yeah, and I, I think often when I connect with people um, and people who have a real impact on me are often people who have shown me real vulnerability. Because I think as a leader, it's nice to know you know, we all have it where we wake up in the middle of the night or we're struggling with a, a decision we've, we've made. It's, yeah. it's nice to know that sometimes you go in through a process and that if everyone's feeling that same way and they're vulnerable, those people who open up to it and they share it with their teams and they share it with the, the leaders, it's such an empowering thing to do because you've got that connectedness and, and you're getting things off your chest. But at the same point, it also shows a strength in leadership that you're prepared to drop your guard. Totally, totally. And that, you know, when you say about the the out the, the the silly hours that sometimes I work, well, actually, you know, uh, emotions don't come between nine and five. You know, they True, might, yeah, they, absolutely. It might come at ten o'clock at night. It might be six in the morning. And, and sometimes I get incredible, like, can I call you? And it is six thirty in the morning, or it's you know, can, can, you know from Panama. Can we speak? But you know, my meetings open, so it could be eleven o'clock at night. But but that's exactly how it should be because if if you don't let if you don't develop that emotion and let it flow and feel confident enough in the person that, that actually the hour doesn't matter. It's not really true. It's not really real. So yeah. um, you know that that. But again, that's what makes it even more. You're more effective if you can go with with the emotion at the right time. Well, also, what you're showing there is you're showing that you're saying to people that you're there for them, but you're backing it up, aren't you? And yeah. the, biggest, the, the biggest thing in terms of supporting others is at their time of need, can you be there for them at the exact moment they need you? Yeah. Or are you going to defer it to a time when it's good for and you? Most, time, well? most, most occasions you can be there if, if you really think about it. We can all make excuses, but deep down, there's very few times that we can't be there for people. You know, and, yeah. and if it's really that bad, then, then people understand. So it's about, it's about you know, I, I always said, and, and I, I was right, that it was important that I left every job I'd been in, actually, but, but certainly Robin Hood, at the time when actually I wasn't needed anymore because, because I, the right people were in place, I felt, and, and pretty yeah. much they were across the board. And for them to grow and develop, they needed new strategic leadership. They needed a new way of working. And, it, and, and this is when I come back to this circle of life somebody like you was the it was the right time the right place the right people and they needed to 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 re-engage with we you know our values are the same but but obviously because of age and stage you know our experiences are different and they needed that that constant moving on and it's about that acceptance that humility and that that ability to say okay i've done a good job here thank you very much i've loved every minute of it you don't you don't depart from it you don't leave it it's still part of you and it's very much part of me still and always will be but it's time to move on and and, and that that has given me kind of kick-started the next five-year plan because i left at the right time without yeah, and, and, and i saw you when you were leaving robin hood and i saw how much that hurt you, you oh know, yeah i mean it destroyed me that was that was the yeah. worst the worst leaving of anything in my life yeah and it was all because I, of people all yeah and people. I, you know I, I i saw that from an outsider looking in you yeah. you know you could have gone on for a good few years um, plenty more years left and actually that when you when you left that was that really cut you to the core the ironic we, thing we, is we've we proved it's right though 
we've proved well, yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it just shows what a brave thing it was to do. And the ironic thing is, is that had you not have nurtured me and given me the self-confidence, I wouldn't have had the courage to go for leading a mat at that stage in my career without someone behind me like you, who was well, generally shining a light on where you think I could make a difference. You know, sometimes you need that additional person, don't you, just to give you the, to be the rock for you to, this moral compass thing I, I know your moral compass and and your 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 values you know were, were those of my of myself and of robin hood so that was the first thing and then yeah. you know coming back to what i said right at the start you just got to expect the best from people and and support them and yeah. and 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 normally those people shine for you i like i like the word shine you know, yeah because if you empower in the right way and not over over empower and yeah. if you pitch it right, they will shine and, and you know, they, they won't let you down. And, and timing is, is very important, but you only know the timing's right if you have that humility to talk to people. And I did talk to people. I mean, most of it was in my own head, but I did share with certain people as to why the time was right. And, yeah. and, and it was. So it, it, it is all, all about that, those honest conversations and, and, and not being lonely. So, so as we now start to, we're coming to the sort of end part of the um, podcast. Can you just tell us a little bit about, so we get inside your head, because part of this podcast is really understanding what, what drives people and, and what has led them to become what they are now. What about with your career? Was there a, a turning point or someone who's had an influence on you that up until that point, your career was going at one stage and then there was a fork in the road, road or something that was defining for you? I, I think, you know, I, I, I often think about this, but I think after my second headship in Coventry and, and yeah. we, were, we were doing well and, and it, was, it was two streets from where I'd grown up and, and it was very tough and I knew the community. Uh, my mum my lived two streets away. Everybody, we all knew each other. And, and I felt um, I was kind of early 40s and I thought, right, this is, a, this is a, an age, a, a stage of my life where I've got to think about really what comes next. And then um, somebody read in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an article that one of the parents had written um, about me being able to transform that school. And it somehow got to um, a company, HTI, that worked with HSBC and they nominated me to become the education officer for HSBC. I went to London, had the interview. Part of me going to, to London was because I'd got senior leaders at this second school that needed developing and were ready for it. And I thought, well, if I go on secondment, this is a perfect professional development for them and I can still help them, support them, but I'll be based in London, it, working in Canary Wharf and going all over the world for HSBC, which excited me of course it did um but then it, for hsbc i worked for dame mary richardson who was um probably um uh, 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 half my size because i'm very big and she's very small and she's yeah. one of the most determined um uh women i've ever met and i totally respect her and I, the moment that everything changed for me within within my first week we went to a reception in um the house of commons and she said, you know, these are the people you're going to be working with because they want HSBC's money. And it was Charles Clark, Stephen Timms and Stephen Twigg, who were education ministers at the time, and David Miliband. And we got to the entrance of this 
drinks reception and she put her the palm of her hand into the middle of my back pushed me in and closed the door and left me in there with them and she walked right. away yeah. and I was absolutely terrified because I felt inadequate and inferior but I was on my own and um and I've got letters uh, from certainly Stephen, uh, uh, David Miliband and, and Stephen Timms, you know, congratulating me on the work that I did with them over those two years. I'd never spoken to a politician before. I'd never, you know, I'd right. never sat on the sofa with Charles Clark having breakfast and stuff. And, and it was Mary's hand in the middle of my back pushing me in. And I think a lot, a lot of people, you know, even you, Steve, uh, you know, when um, we talked about Robin Hood, I almost needed to, put my hand in the middle of your back and push you in because yeah, and that's, how true. Should, that's how it should be. I mean, you know, if you'd, if you'd yeah. have walked in with, without a little bit of a push, there'd have been a little bit of arrogance there. So, yeah. so that, that hand behind you pushing you in. And when Mary did that to me, I thought, okay, if I can do this, I can do anything. And that, and I, t I tell her this and she, and she, uh, I won't reveal her age, but she's, she's older than me and she's yeah. still working just like I do. And she, she won't change. And so she's, she's almost my role model in, in changing my belief in myself. So, th so that, that was a real turning point because I thought if I can do this, I can do anything. And, and then I went on to SSAT, to Robin Hood, to set up my own company, to go international looking at, you know, in um, reviewing schools. So, and it all really started there because I think if it hadn't, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to take the really big steps. So, so, defining, so if, you see, if you see in somebody, you put your hand behind them and you push them nicely. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. So the defining moment is a hand on the back. Yeah. That, I, can remember, that I can remember the room, the building, the day. It's all there. Yeah. Clear as anything. Yeah. 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 That crossroads in the uh, sort of fork in the road moment. Yes. yes. So going, what about, have you, have you ever had a, a really significant setback in, in your career? You know, when you've got it mapped out to go in one direction that that's just completely thrown you sideways and, and had to make you reevaluate. Um, I, I think, I think when I took my, um, my second headship, my, my first headship, I'd been a teacher there then I'd been the deputy, then I'd been the head through, through a range of circumstances. It wasn't, it wasn't a career path. It was to totally, but, but, and, and then I'd actually been at my first school for 20 years as a teacher right. through to headship. And then the local authority asked me to consider this second headship. It, it wasn't on my radar at all. And it was going from a one form entry to a three form entry school. And it was inheriting a situation that was, quite toxic really and very damaged and difficult and um and a lot of unhappiness and the first six months there I really thought I was totally out of my depth and I'll be honest that, that you know I, I, I went to some head teachers meetings and I couldn't go back into school and I used to I'd park the car on an industrial estate near the school so that nobody could see me where right. I while I had to decide whether I could do it or whether I should actually run away because I kept thinking, you know, I, I'm not making a difference. I'm not, you know, and, and of course, in the end, I was able to turn it, but that, that was the hardest, hardest ever moment for me. And I often say to people that I, I believe in the line, you know, sink or swim. And it, it truly was a moment of either I sink now and, and perhaps go back just to be a teacher, which was great because I'd love teaching, or I swim, and um, and I, I just had to believe that that, that I'd, I'd got this, you know, to develop that self worth. But it was re that that was a defining moment for me. Um, 
And, and, I, and at that stage, I hadn't got the network or people to talk to, and I tried to hold it in. Right. Now, if ever I got to that stage, I'd be on the phone to endless people saying, I can't do this, I need help, can you help me, can you direct me? I had nobody at that stage because I hadn't got it far enough into my career, really. Yeah. And um, so, so that made me realize that, that the, you know, the loneliness of the job, sitting on, an, uh, on, a, uh, on a business park, on an industrial estate, where I knew that parents wouldn't be walking past and nobody would see me in the car. Yeah. And I didn't ever tell anybody at the time. But, but I did do it. Uh, the, 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 the LA meetings were on Thursday morning and I didn't want to go back into school. Um, no, and I think the, you know, certainly what I've discovered um, about, about leadership, you know, also, if you make a poor choice when you, when you join a school as a teacher, actually, I joined a school when I was, um, I went to become a maths leader in Coventry. I'd moved from Manchester and the school I joined it turns out that I looked around at Easter. So when I walked around without any kids in there, because it was the only time I could get down there, it was the school looked great. What I didn't yeah. see was the culture and ethos in the school. And so then yeah, actually yeah. When, I, yeah. when I went and started working in the school, you know, staff would arrive really late in the morning. Um, there were a couple of members of staff who were pretty much out the door with the kids and it went against everything I believed in education. Now I remember I was deeply unhappy when I was there it hadn't been, I'd come from an outstanding school. And I remember going to Asda to, um, to go and see whether or not I could get a, uh, a manager's job at Asda because I just needed to have an exit strategy. I wasn't going to take it, but I needed one. I know. And at the time, I hated it so much. You know, you know I, I was deeply unhappy. But when I look back now, actually, that defined my vision for what education should be because no one likes being in those moments at the time and they're terrible to go through. The learning that comes out of them, if you can just get through is enormous, isn't it? Which is the sink or swim, isn't it really? Yeah. You're either, you're either going to get through. And, and at the time you probably didn't have the right people to go to or talk to or no. share it with or the confidence to do that as I did yeah. when I started my second headship. But, but yeah. now, you know, I've, I've got a wealth of people you have. So, so that's why, you know, we're coming back to the fact that, you know, people are everything and networks are everything. And if you surround yourself with good people, you're never going, you're never going to face these very difficult dilemmas and experiences that really question the whole purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. No, I, I mean, I, I agree totally. I mean, that, that takes us on to, to the last part really nicely. The, uh, the strap line of this podcast is at the heart of education lies collaboration, which I know that we both totally and utterly believe in. If you're going to provide two or three top tips that are actionable for uh, listeners of the podcast in terms of connecting with people and, and you know, working with people, what, what would you do? What would you say? Well, I, I, I get incredibly disappointed when people that I'm working with don't respond I think it's, it's yeah. you know, so little things really matter always because if you deal with the little things, the big things don't happen. And you, you know, I always say this, but it, but it is true. And a lot of that is about responding. You know, if you, if you give or try and support or, and then people don't get back to you or don't. So, so value the little things, respond, respond always because everything matters. Everything matters. Yeah. So collaboration will, you know, it, if you say thank you, if you respond, 
if you acknowledge, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Because that, that forms the greatest foundation for, for true collaboration that will last forever. If you start to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have time, or I forgot, or whatever, suddenly it becomes yeah. worse, deep down. And, and as I've said to you earlier today, everything is about expecting the best from people. So if you, if, whoever you engage, you know, w w when you first meet somebody, even if you've heard negative things about them, because sometimes you hear things about people and think, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this person or we're not going to work well together. But actually yeah. make your own opinion because you come from your own set of values, your own moral compass. So you decide, yeah. you know, actually let's have a clean slate. Let's, let's try this and let's believe in them see the yeah. best in them from the outset if they let you down then maybe the maybe that, that 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 initial impression you know but 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 always always believe in people um and, and expect them to shine for you and i say not from my experience and perhaps because the way I, i've not put pressure on people initially and i've, I've seen the good in them 99 percent of them actually live up to it and it's very few people and and generally you know very few people um intentionally try and fail so sometimes, you know, fa failure, if it's not intentional, it's not something to, to, to really get too hung up about. We, we just turn it around or perhaps we've pitched it wrong with somebody. So always try and see the good in people because, yeah. because generally, you know, it, it, it never backfires. It doesn't let you down. And then you get load, loads of satisfaction and reward back straight away. So collaboration will work if you, if you deal with the little things, you respond appropriately, you be nice to people and you expect the best in them and it will work. Well, I think you're so right because I think particularly in society today, we're really quick. You know, everything's instantaneous, isn't it? From social yes. media to, yeah. to how we buy things and everything. And, and, and I think also as a society, we're really quick to judge and label people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you go. I mean, I, I, th I think so often, you know, we could, I spend a lot of time, I'm probably too wordy because of my age, in, in, in kind of when I respond to emails, you know, and I always say, you yeah, have a nice weekend, and very, you know, which probably is, isn't, you know, probably how you should behave. But, but I think you need to, to really think hard about and be sensitive to what you say and how you say it. And, you know, there's one head teacher I'm dealing with now who, you know, I've done loads of work, and then, then he perhaps does respond, and I get a thanks. Yeah. And, and I feel like just deleting the whole lot because I feel because I've actually you know, done so much work and I just, all I get is just the one word, not even the name or hi, Richard. I just get thanks. Yeah. And I'm dealing with that you know, because I, I, you know, I find it so frustrating. It's one of these little things that actually is becoming a big thing now. Because what you're doing is you're actually emotionally invested in, in him. Yeah. But yeah. What, he's, what he's showing back to you is that actually maybe he views the relationship more as transactional rather than investment. Yeah. So, so therefore, if he's doing that to me and he says he kind of really respects and admires me and likes me and needs me, and if he's doing that to me, yeah. what on earth is he doing to people that, that actually he's struggling with? So therefore, yeah. you can't be an effective leader if you don't, if you haven't got the sensitivity and the emotion to see that these things are really, really important. So, yeah. you know, as, as we always say, emotional intelligence is the, the, the strongest foundation and, and people are the most precious resource any organisation has. And if you can't link the two, you're not, it's not going to work. And I think that's a great point to end the podcast. Thank you so much for your time in, in yeah, sure. sharing um, your, your vision and your values and, and how you uh, people, put people first and foremost in, in what you do. Um, I can honestly say to everyone listening that 
you live and breathe that every day. And, um, and that's part of, in my view, creating a legacy, which is why I think I'll spend the rest of my career looking up to you because uh, it's about living and breathing it, isn't it? So thanks very much, Richard, for your time. Thank you very really much. appreciate it. And good, good luck with all the podcasts. I think there'll be an amazing uh, opportunity and, and developmental opportunity for so many people. Yeah, okay, thank you. Really, really thank you. appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our first ever podcast and we really hope that you got something out of it. If you have any feedback on today's topic or want to share any information with us, you can get in touch via Twitter at Robinhood Trust. Please also use the hashtag share-ed. This has been a Robinhood Multi-Academy Trust production. We believe at the heart of education lies collaboration. Catch you next week.